Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We need positivity for this second half. Positivity, believe, positivity, believe. 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 Welcome, listeners, to the extra inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy. And a man who brings a fear that I love to have in the squad, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. A fear that I love to have. I mean, people, you know, they watch horror movies and they listen to death metal, so... And then they see your hair. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know I love your hair. I don't mean it. This is the fourth in our series of All or Nothing Watch Along specials. If you haven't watched episode four of Amazon's All or Nothing series about Tottenham Hotspur, our beloved club... We suggest that you do so now, because we're going to spoil all of that episode here. If you've got no intention of watching it, then hopefully we can talk you through that through it successfully. There have some have been some people that have said they've not bothered subscribing to Amazon. Instead, they've just watched through us vicariously. If you have watched it, then hopefully this will be a useful piece of supplementary commentary to add to your enjoyment of the series. Uh, we're going to get straight into it. So this one is called Season's Greetings. I am going to call it, however... The Jaffet Tanganga episode. Mm-hmm. The blurb for this one is, It's Christmas and head coach Josie Mourinho faces his first major challenge at the club. A growing injury list means he must turn to the club's academy and is forced to rethink his team selection. Local lad Jaffet Tanganga suddenly finds himself in the first team squad. As he prepares for the biggest game of his life, does the youngster have what it takes to fulfil his lifelong dream? And we think the time period covered by this episode is roughly the 22nd of December until either the 14th or 15th of January, the Borough match, which it ends on, was the 14th. Although we're not quite sure when the conversation at the end actually happens. But that, that is true of much of the content from the documentary and the way it's editorialised. So this one opens with a shot of the training centre and Jose Mourinho asking how many of them want to win the FA Cup. Answering it himself, you all want to win the FA Cup, and asking them <laughs> what they're ready to do to do so. He says, teams are aggressive, they'll kick you, bang you, we need to take it seriously, or we are fucked. And Bardi, what do you think of this opening? I would just like to add a little note on logistics, that sometimes if you do skip intro with Amazon, they actually skip this bit. I only realised when I was going back and I was like, I heard about this bit, but where was it? So 
I, I hate the opening credits because it shows you stuff that you haven't seen yet, as we, we've said. So I always skip intro, but I've ended up missing stuff. So I've had to go back and rewatch it. So that's just a little kind of logistic thing. But I, um, I think this intro is very much a bit, a little bit of a dig at Pochettino, who was kind mm-hmm. of well known for throwing cups and trophy dodger. Trophy, dodging trophy by, by playing players who were out of form or who had no kind of real place in the, in the starting 11. So this is very much um, one for the trophy nonces, and it will go down incredibly well, I think. I mean, we do want we do want to win the FA Cup, that's for sure. Um, we then see the Tottenham Hotspur staff Christmas party, hosted by the lovable Paul Coit. Daniel Levy is there, Father Christmas himself, and uh, he reels off his Christmas list, which is to finish in the top four and win a trophy. Um, perhaps Daniel Levy's not been a good boy this year. We'll see. And then there's a montage of players filming a skit with um, the blue Christmas hats on, which we've seen many times on Spurs' social media, with players making trips to the local hospital and preparing for the Christmas period. Um, Bardi, was it nice to see the players messing about on the training ground? Yeah, you know, it's always nice to see that. I thought the Christmas party looked a little bit awkward. It's... <laughs> Um, like Mourinho and Levy, it's very much those two in charge. And I, I guess we'll see further on as we look at it about the, the relationship that they have and the players have with them. And also, everything just seems to be a little bit blue. There's like every, every bus journey, every kind of night out, every event, there's always a blue light to it. And I, I just felt a bit sorry for the people in the front row that you have to kind of cringe when the CEO gets up there and does his kind of Christmas banter. But yeah, he pays the wages. So you, you got to smile and take it. Nathan, is it a Christmas party that you'd like to be a part of? <laughs> Uh, I mean, to a degree, just because I'm a Spurs fan and I want to be sleeping around, but it is, you know, it is that sort of corporate office yeah. Christmas party thing where it's like, you know, you, you make yourself get in the mood because if you don't get in the mood, then it's horrible, basically. And you, you buy into it because otherwise, what a terrible situation you'd be in otherwise. You're not a team player. You have to go there and be part of the team. And yeah, it's, it's, it's all, it looked terrible. But everyone was nicely dressed up and I'm sure they had a, a rousing good time. We then see the introduction of Jeff Scott, who becomes a much more prom- prominent feature in uh, across these three episodes, actually, the second three that have been released. He's the head of medicine and sports science, and he's essentially telling Danny Rose that they don't want him running. Um, he gives Mourinho an update. He sits down next to him, and he says that Dyer was... Um, the recipient of a heavy challenge, Danny Rose has a calf issue, Kyle Walker-Peters is also injured, Son suspended, the injury list is growing, and there's a shot of Jose Mourinho um, ripping off a tactic sheet and binning it, saying it's fucked. Um, again, cannot say that the timing of these events is, uh, is precisely correct, but it works quite well from a narrative perspective. Uh, Jose asks Sacramento, are there any kids? And Sacramento says there may be three. Um, and we'll come back to that in a minute. So we then see the kit man, Steve Jukes, who is the man who creates space in the boot room. And he's talking about how, essentially how he's seen lots of players move up from the academy to the first team over the years. He's been at the club since 1987. He's a, he originally started as a steward. Um, so it sounds like he kind of, he's been there for most of his career from the sounds of things. Uh, he references how Harry Kane, Harry Winks and Kyle Walker-Peters have all been through the academy and on his walk through, so what he's doing, I think, is moving, going to the academy to uh, move some players' items to the first team. And on his walk through to the academy, he bumps into Keon Tete and Harvey White. And he says, Harv, how long have you been here? 
And they have a bit of a natter about uh, how long Harvey White's been at the club and the fact that Etete's just moved from Notts County. Was it quite nice to sort of see him bump into them in the corridors, Nathan? Yeah, it's, 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 oh, I was about to use the word sweet, but I got told off using the word sweet too many times for only a couple of minutes in. It was really, um, wholesome. Ch- ch- yeah, it was really wholesome to sort of see, um, you know, the, the, the inside, the operation and the sort of the day to day. I just wanted to go back a little bit because I also really enjoyed the, the sports science section with the physio because I'm, you know, I mean, it was interesting to see how that works and the, the conversation back and forth with the players. Last night I did my first deadlifting session for nine months and my lower back is sore, so it was still too soon. So as someone who's been going through just continuous injury for the last two years, um, it's, <laughs> I'm really fascinated by that kind of stuff now. Um, so yeah, I really like that. I mean, the the appeal of this uh, has like has got people in in my life that never really expressed an interest at Tottenham. Um, with Tottenham, all of a sudden they're now interested in this, which is I kind of guess what Amazon wanted. So it's happened to me twice that now my sister, who's never ever wanted to go to Spurs, has just gone. Oh, can you can you take me to Spurs? And then I started watching it with my wife, and she she saw Danny Rose getting massaged, and she just went, "Oh, that looks lovely." So uh, it's just it's just it's just strange how it, um. How this, uh, how this documentary is really appealing to the masses. But um, I did find it quite nice, the um, Steve Jukes, because football is very transient, especially at the top level. And it's nice to have these kind of pillars and characters who have been there, have seen everything, been through it. And um, they're, they're part of the history. And even as the team moves on and the players move on, that they're still there. And it, it's nice. It is. It does ground it. I think sometimes you watch this and it can be a little bit over the top of come on lads passion 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 so it's nice every now and then to get a bit of bit of grounding with like the real human beings who were who were there and helping run this club I definitely get the impression that that is a common theme at Spurs I mean certainly from when I used to go and watch the youth teams regularly at uh, Spurs Lodge and then Hotspur where you would see the same faces kind of in the background looking after the players putting the cones out these kind of things they'd be there for years and years and years and end and Mm. uh, that certainly comes through in this documentary as well. One thing, I mean, Nathan went back briefly to talk about the section where Scott joins Mourinho on, uh, at breakfast. I found that, I, I, I felt like Scott was sort of battling for Mourinho's attention there, which again, comes up quite a bit, I would say. Um, Scott is a very, very important figure, clearly, in relation to the first team at Spurs. And yet, I don't get the impression that he is necessarily um, number one priority in the eyes of the management team. But uh, we'll come back to that, thing because the episodes go on. Um, so we then see the three young lads who are being moved up to the senior dressing room. And it looks as though that they're referring to Tanganga, to Oliver Skip and to Troy Parrott. But I did also spot Dennis Serkin in the training session that followed. So I don't know if Oliver Skip had already moved up by that point or if if he's one of the three being referred to. Um, And here begins the section on Jaffet Tanganga, which is just fabulous. So he talks about being nine when he first joined the club. He still lives with his mum and dad. Uh, He talks about the fact that he needs self-discipline because he's still got a long way to go. He talks through being scouted by Chelsea first and has a bit of a chuckle about that kind of giving that exclusive. He describes Mourinho as the best manager in the world. He says he's going to try and make a give a good example of himself on the training pitch and show what he's capable of. Um, what did you think of being able to see a bit of the man Jaffa Tanganga, Nathan? Again, I've, I've got to really try hard not to use the word sweet, but um, 
I've really, really enjoyed this whole section with Tanganga. I, I, I really appreciate having a lot more insight to him. He, he, he's, he's much more sort of charismatic and, mm. and interesting than I, um, you know, had seen just from glimpses of him. Obviously, his story this season is, is, um, is great. Um, you know, um, especially for you as someone who follows the academy, all of that. But he, he himself is a, is a really good figure, basically. And he just yeah. seems like such a nice kid. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I don't have a son, but if I did have a son, I wouldn't mind it being uh, Tanganga. He seems so well grounded. He speaks yeah. really well. Um, he lives two miles from the stadium. He still lives with his family. I mean, he's, he's twenty years old, and he's a footballer. I mean, I know he's not making the money, and they, they reference it later on. He's not making the money that some twenty twenty year old professional footballers are, but he just he's yeah he just seems really in a good place. And some of the sound bites he comes out with later are really heartwarming. What a lovely, lovely man. Yeah, agreed. Totally agree. Um, so Mourinho talks about young players coming through the academy. He says they have something, they have passions, and these emotional things are very, very important. And I think that's something that most fans can certainly get on board with as well, the idea of someone having been embedded in the philosophy of the club from a young age and making it onto the pitch of the first team is, is pretty special. There's certainly a, a connection there that's hard to replace. We then have uh, Musa Soko and I think Victor Wanyama bringing birthday cake through to Serge Aurier, who's flat out on his front having a massage. And they insist on singing to him, and then Sissoko feeds him a cupcake, which is just, it's just lovely. It's really funny. Um, nice little throwaway section there. It's the, it's the French bit in, in, la, in la gauche or something like that. In, just yeah. stick it in your mouth. It doesn't quite, it sounds, I don't even know what it means. I can't say Bouche it in French, but mouth, isn't in it? la bouche, just like stick it in your mouth and just get on with it. I really <laughs> like that bit. And then we see it's 5.30 on Christmas Day and the players are arriving for their Christmas Day session. Harry Kane's getting out of his car. He's sort of wishing happy Christmas to everyone, including Delhi, who he gives a big hug to. And then the lesser spotted so far, Ryan Sessegnon is there. Uh, the team asks Sessegnon if there are any presents or secret Santa doing the round amongst the players. He says, I don't think so. <laughs> so <laughs> the implication of that is, if there is, I've been left out of it. <laughs> and then they ask him what he's bought for his mum. Uh, he says he's got her a handbag and a purse, uh, guess the brand. And you guessed it, it's Louis Vuitton. Mm-hmm. So lucky, lucky Mrs. Sessegnon. She's done very well for herself that Christmas. Uh, and then we see Alderweireld saying that money can't buy the best thing, which is spending time with family at Christmas. So you get some sort of nice moments there with some of the players coming in for their Christmas sessions. Mourinho, unfortunately, and sadly, has had a less happy Christmas time so far. Um, his dog's died and he's really down and he wants to tell the players that he's he's not himself and he doesn't want them to think that he's annoyed with them. He's just in a bad place because his dog died, which um, I remember at the time feeling incredibly sorry for him and the, the timing mm. sucked. Mm. Uh, yeah, he's he's not in a good place at all. Nathan, what did you make of this section? Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's very sad, uh, but it also allowed me an opportunity to sort of sympathise with Mourinho in a way that obviously I struggle with generally. Um, I, I'm a dog lover. I have dogs. I will be devastated when eventually uh, they die. Um, so it, yeah, it just helped me sort of tune in with him a little bit. And I, I appreciated, you know, him saying, look, I'm in a bad mood because mm. of reasons that aren't your fault and, 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 and being clear with those kind of things. Um, yeah, tough to see, obviously. Um, but also kind of, um, sort of nice to see that side of Mourinho, mm-hmm. some sort of vulnerability from him. 
Definitely. I massively agree. How about you, Bardi? Yeah, I was also very surprised that um, we knew they, they trained and they, they did stuff over Christmas, Christmas, but I didn't realise they would be in Christmas evening, Christmas Day evening. I guess they it gives them the morning with their families and they can yeah. have their lunch and then they go in for training. I just always thought that they they would just have the whole day off and then they would meet for the Boxing Day game. So... Um, yeah, it was interesting. I did feel sorry for Mourinho. My my dog passed away. My dad's dog passed away last year, and it's a terrible thing. So yeah, uh, it does show once again we are seeing the human sides. We 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 know Mourinho for this guy that makes his his comments and can be quite tough. So it's always nice when we when we see behind and we see the real person. Definitely, definitely. And um, we see Kane, who is as we know a dog lover, uh, kind of engage with him and asks what breed of dog it is. It's Yorkshire Terrier. Uh, and then we see Mourinho give a bit of a motivational pep talk. He tells them they need to win because they lost the last game, basically. We then see a <laughs> clip of the Brighton game, which got skipped <laughs> over last time with yeah. Hugo getting injured. And I, I I, guess I get it now that like they, were, they wanted to compile all of the injuries into one section, so they decided to save the Brighton. It's just that from, from, I think, most fans' perspective, that Brighton game was such a major milestone in the mm-hmm. season and, and shaping mm-hmm. of the form. It was it was midweek, Bayern thrashing, weekend, lost to Brighton. And I think that was probably, for most fans, but I, I suspect also with Inside the Club, um, the point where Pochettino essentially lost his job. And at that point, he was operating on a on a sort of a temporary basis waiting for an opportunity uh such as Mourinho to come in and I just it's it's kind of odd watching it back for that to be something to go oh and by the way Spurs lost to Brighton and and you got in got injured and he's also one of the injured players um I I but I do I understand now it does sort of make sense that they would cut it that way yeah I mean I get it too but but also I think if they'd had a, a Spurs fan sort of sense check some of this and just sort of say does this kind of fit with your remembering of the way things mm. went? They could have put a reference into the Brighton game in the earlier section with Pochettino and then re-referenced it again here, right? I mean, it wouldn't have taken up a huge amount of screen time just to have a 30-second segment in the first episode and then, you know, a very quick recap here of how Hugo picks up his injury. I don't know, it just, like you say, it felt a bit stilted and forced, um, which... We kind of expected because this isn't made for by Spurs fans for Spurs fans. It's made for 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 mass the mass media. But I don't know. It would have just I, th- I think saved a lot of hassle if they'd shown the whole lot. Buddy, what did you think of it? Yeah, I, I agree with both of you, and I think they also did bail out Hugo a bit there. They yeah, just showed him getting they injured. They didn't they show really did. <laughs> they didn't show how he got injured. Yeah, because I don't think it would have fit with the narrative of world class world class World Cup winning goalkeeper comes back after chucking the ball in his net and breaking his arm. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we we have Mourinho saying, if it's not Webster, it's Duffy. You have to win the space and anticipate the space. Um, and it, I guess that he only references those two because they, one of them goes on to score. I, I guess that's the only reason they include that clip. Buddy, what do you think of that? Do you remember when he first joined Chelsea and he was doing a load of Barkley card adverts and he would tell the team how to, he would write on the chalkboard how to score from a set piece and then... The team would go out and the whole thing was be as prepared as Jose Mourinho is with your credit card. Do you, know, do you remember that? I just no. had flashbacks to that really cheesy advert. Anyway, it's out there. Well, maybe I'll go find it, show the link. But it did show like um, he's just giving us an insight of just how smart he is, that kind of thing. It's just showing off. I, I am curious whether that was an open play or set piece instruction that they were having there. Obviously, as you yeah. say, we go on to concede 
uh, from these Webster scores from a set piece. Yeah. Um, but I suspect that was about like winning the second ball off the centre yes. half from crosses mm. and the like. Yeah, that's the way I took it. Also, it's one of the few moments where we get some actual tactical insights, and they don't zoom in close enough for you to be able to quite appreciate what's going on, which is. Again, frustrating, but again, this isn't made for us. So uh, I'm trying to remember that all the time. That's <laughs> It's a shame because it, it stops just short of being what I would call really interesting, but I'm sure most people wouldn't care about the detail there. I guess it's very similar in the way that Last Chance You doesn't really... I don't know anything about American football, so yeah. they never really go into the plays on other than explaining what the pocket is. So I, I guess I guess that's why they don't bother with the tactics because they, the, the mass audience doesn't really need to know it. I haven't watched Last Chance You, but I have watched like documentaries about other sports that I don't know anything about. And like, it's not it's not harmful to me to learn about American football. If I picked up some American football knowledge while I was watching a documentary mm. that is primarily about characters, I wouldn't, you know be upset maybe that's just a me thing maybe that's you know i'm doing a bloody tactics podcast maybe that's just my approach to things um but i think that i think that documentaries and shows like this they do kind of uh patronize and belittle the audience a tiny bit there's mm. there's more uh in this episode and especially in the next episode where like you get this half a second clip mm. where like he's about to say or he's about to contextualize um and I, i'll highlight these later obviously and then we just don't get the Maybe that's like an agreement with um, with Spurs and Mourinho is that they don't want him leaking all of his tactical briefings, you know, out to the wider public. Uh, but I was talking with my friend Nico, who's a City fan and who has watched the the City All or Nothing documentary. And these are two different production teams, but there's a lot more apparently tactical instruction in that one than we're than we're seeing at all in this. Yeah, there's loads more. The City one is far more tactical. Um, Pep will go through reasons why things aren't working he will uh, I always the one that sticks in my head is when Spurs play away he will highlight Ericsson and show where Ericsson is the danger and kind of mark the spaces and where you need to keep an eye on him especially yeah the the City one is far more far more tactical interesting so it would be nice to know if, if it's a sort of decision taken by the production team or if it is simply that at this stage in Mourinho's tenure perhaps it's just not there just, just sort of in the in the team talk sections perhaps it's um it's just absent. Yeah, Body, well, the Leeds one, um, you got Marcelo Bielsa and they, they don't go into any tactics at all. They don't reference Bielsa's training methods other than he makes us run a lot. So I I, I, <laughs> I think it's just the way Amazon are going with these documentaries. Yeah, yeah would make sense. Um, so next we have Mourinho's big team talk. And this is the one we've seen as part of the trail for the documentary series. So I'm going to read this in full because it's, it's, it's quite substantive and um, interesting. He says, the most important thing, not in football, in life for me is courage, honesty, good feelings, friendship. That's the most important thing in life and in football. We lost a game. We have a game to play and we have to go with balls, with courage, with good feelings, being positive, being friends, being family. That's the most important thing in life and football. And obviously that um, that clips up quite well into a sort of uh, promo trail, I think. Um, Nathan, what, what did you think of this? I quite like this, actually. Uh, I think on this podcast, I've said, you know, in football and in life a couple of times before. Mm. Um, and like, I I agree, basically. Mm-hmm. I, I think that this is like, I do have criticism, probably not so much of Mourinho, but how much the show centers these kinds of team talks a lot. 
but this one specifically i i i have a lot of time for i yeah he's he's right <laughs> you yeah. know uh, it, it strikes a note with me yeah absolutely and i think um you know we do have a group of players that are very well bonded and so bonding them further is absolutely no bad thing i think this makes complete sense from a sort of strategic point of view but also it's helping to bring him into the inner circle it's allowing him allowing them to sort of see him as a sort of familial figure which is which is also incredibly helpful i think when, when it comes to his management uh, we we then see the montage of the match itself um with the commentator saying the likes of duffy and webster are real threats in the situation webster then scores we see half time where Mourinho is somewhat reading the riot act i would say he's saying you have to mark you have to compete you have to use your body we need more initiative we need more spirit we need more competitiveness we need more desire um Lots of things we've seen sort of him say in halftime speeches in previous episodes. He then says, we need to press them. And every time we make a pass like that, there is not people that goes to win the second ball. Um, we've, I mean, it's interesting because once again, we hear Mourinho talking about pressing. And that's not something we saw technically an awful lot of uh, in some of his initial initial games where we were much more sort of passive. Um, and it seemed to be that we would play this low block and, and play quite passively. Um, but clearly there is certainly some intention to press. Nathan, did you pick up anything from this? I think we were pressing a fair bit at, th- at this point in time, to be fair. Okay. Um, well, we, at least we were trying to. <clears throat> um, I, I I will let this point go in a minute, I promise. It's just that you have this bit here that's consistent throughout the show where we get the, the team talk at the start of the match. He talks about, uh, you know, courage, honesty, good feelings, friendship, uh, and then we lose the first half yep. and then we get something very similar again. And it's just this continuous narrative of Mourinho bigs the team up. They then go out and do and don't perform. Mourinho bigs the team up and then they do or do not. And it's just, it's this cycle where like, uh, because of what they are choosing to show and not to show, which is what they're choosing to show is primarily this aspect of the team talks. The message is that, sometimes he says things and they care and sometimes he says things and they don't care enough and i just find that a little frustrating um again i, f- I feel a little patronized mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i have to agree i think some of the weakest points of of each episode are the actual game parts where um there's no real drama there of course we already know what the score is but actually, as nathan says it's come on let's go out there and do it and then they don't do it and then come on let's go out and do it and sometimes they do it again it's just <laughs> There's no, there's no, there's no insight. There's no drama. There's, there's nothing that I take away from these, these moments other than a sentence here, here and there, which I think is, is worth watching. I find the, the changing rooms, uh, I find the, the, the training center, I find the meetings in the canteen and the office far more interesting than, than the games at this moment. Yeah, totally. So he ends with positivity, belief, positivity, belief. And on this occasion, it does work. Harry Kane scores. And then Delhi scores what I think is a very underrated goal. I kind of uh, forget that goal, but it's a really good mm. finish. And after the match, Mourinho is talking about how hard Harry Kane worked. There are references then to physiology and how we have to play again in 48 hours and the demanding schedule, essentially. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. 
You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. get the intro to a Norwich game with a nice little shot of the Norwich Cathedral spire that I spotted. Um, Kane scores a penalty, we draw, we're sixth in the league now, and you get Harry Kane saying, we're not robots, your body just can't recover that quickly. So we're getting this message over and over again here of uh, the, the, the hectic fixture list over Christmas, which I think we all appreciate is a problem in football. Nathan, what did you think of this? I am glad that they highlight this both with what Mourinho says, and then Kane sort of doubling it again, which is, uh, I guess, if you lump uh, the Amazon documentary in with the sort of production end of sports, um, there is, at least in this incident, um, a a non-consistency on the message football should be played every couple of days and these these same players, they can just tough it out because they're paid enough money, etc., etc. I appreciate the honesty from the the documentary and the players and Mourinho, you know, talking about this situation in which there is simply too much football being played for these athletes. Because, um, I mean, you know, they're right and, and, and the next season is going to be even more ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And not just at Christmas, <laughs> right from the off. Uh, so we then see the team travelling to Southampton by coach and spending New Year's, New Year's Eve alone in their hotel rooms we see Sir Jorier wishing everyone a happy new year, explaining he has a match tomorrow. We see Sissoko on the phone to a friend wishing him happy new year. And Sissoko explains that his family will be having a meal together the following day, New Year's Day. Um, Buddy, what did you make of these New Year's Eve sections? I mean, it, I keep I keep banging on about this, but the human side of it, it does, does kind of highlight the importance of, of these, these young men finding a home when they move to a club and it's sometimes it's far more it's far more detailed than just whether statistically they they fit a team and um they these young guys they have to find they have to find a home and they have to find a a place within within quite a very competitive environment they have to kind of flourish there and i think you see that you see the importance of the relationships perhaps between Lo Celso, Lamella and Foyf, Serge and Musa and then you can really see a strong uh, relationship between Rose, Winks and Carl Walker Peters that they're they're missing key events in in family life to be with these to be with these other athletes and it it really does hammer home the importance of a player fitting in personality-wise as well as stylistically in, in, at a football club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think a spot on there. There there are many sacrifices that players have to make, and you know Toby mentioned it 
before Christmas that the most important thing in life is being able to spend time with your family. It's not the money, it's not everything else that comes with it. You can see how uh, family-orientated Adeverald mm. is throughout this documentary. Obviously, mm. we see outside of it how much he sort of centres his wife in his his sort of social media output. But he, you know, bringing his his wife and his kids into his contract signing, multiple references uh, to his family, you know, throughout the documentary. Um, not that, again, not that we didn't know this about him, but it, it's it's interesting to see that sort of double down on and, and that that that. Tr- clearly is a, a huge aspect of Adeverald's life. And the, the big missing part throughout this um, throughout this documentary is is Ndombele, and we're, we're not seeing how he's fitting in. And I'm, I've been one of the first ones to criticise weight and uh, mentality and everything else, but we don't know how he's fitting in, and he could be struggling... He could be struggling with a lot of things and you know, just perhaps we have to be a little bit nice and a little bit fairer when we talk about these guys. Yeah, I, I also had similar thoughts about the lack of Ndombele sort of coverage in this episode because it was this was a crucial point. Uh, but my suspicion is that they're going to compact it all together with like they do with the Brighton game, uh, uh, you know, in a, in a later episode and say, here's the full Ndombele story from start to finish, essentially. That's what I foresee as well. Something around lockdown breaches or something around that gotcha possibly i i think they're just going to skip it i don't think i don't think they're going to talk about it i I think they would have they would have made a bit more of a fanfare about our club record signing if they were going to talk about it they would have mentioned it i just i don't see them bringing it in now yeah because i mean what we got yeah i don't i don't see it i think they're just going to pretend it never happened it would be a shame wouldn't it we'd like to see a bit more of him uh, so we then have Mourinho's team talk where he's once again reinforcing let's press high. So um, it's clearly a, 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 a thing that's high on his agenda is our high press. Uh, we see crowd shots. We hear Owen the Spurs. Danny Ng scores. Kane equalises. Uh, it's offside though and he pulls his hammy. <laughs> and this was awful to see because it brought back dreadful memories. So hmm. we then see Kane leaving the stadium on crutches. And there's a whole section of uh, people in the media, including fan podcasts, talking about Harry Kane's injury. Um, yeah, that was not a good period in my Spurs fandom. Um, you know, just as things started to sort of be looking up a little bit, Kane gets his bad injury. We see Michelle Vorm and Ben Davies, sorry, Ben Davis, with Jeff Scott having breakfast. He's having a scan and Delhi's asking the physio team about it. He's looking concerned. This is Kane we're talking about. Kane's well, having a scan and Delhi's Dele, worried for him. Delhi knows all about hamstrings and you could see that mm-hmm. he, he's quite the quite the expert on hamstrings, asking about what, what kind of damage it is, what kind of te- uh, strain it is. So the call comes through to Jeff Scott and the specialist says, it's definitely a C injury as it involves the intermuscular tendon and the muscles last, lost significant tension so it's a high 3C, and Scott interprets that immediately and says, so it's probably about 12 weeks, and they have a discussion around whether there might be some surgery needed to, to patch Harry up. And we find out that Kane has been playing with a, a grade one hamstring injury. Yeah, they snuck that in. I, I put the subtitles on, so I, I added that to the running order because they kind of snuck it in, and I was just like, pardon? So I went back and put subtitles on, and it popped up. I think sometimes watching this show with subtitles is, is a mm. little bit better because you pick up the kind of background chatter. But yeah, it came clear that Harry Kane, he, he had been playing through injuries, and it, it I don't know whether this 
we we know everything that everyone's been saying. So perhaps it was reckless in the end to to play Kane in all these games, especially when they reference how hard he works. So I think a lot of fault has got to lie with Kane, and a lot of fault's got to lie with the club over this over this injury. We have ourselves on this podcast accused Tottenham Hotspur of playing Harry Kane through injury, and we do have our you know unavoidable confirmation now. Um, it's frustrating, obviously. Because it's you know it's very easy for us to say, look, you played in with a grade one hamstring injury and it got worse. Uh, obviously, there, there will be plenty of other incidences where a player has played, ha- taken some risk, or the club has taken some risk playing a player through injury and it's worked out fine. Um, but it also points to you know the situation in which you would need to continually play a player you know three times in a week when they have a grade one tear or a strain going on. Well, it just illustrates this constant tension between the people working in on the medical side of the club, the physios and the sports scientists, and the, the management who are managing the coaching side. Yeah, they just want to be able to pick from their best players, and the physios are having to sort of sometimes reel them back and say, hang on, we've got to think of a long-term damage this can do. Yeah. Yeah, you you pointed out the sort of the the coldness in the earlier scene when the um when the physio is is talking to Mourinho and Mourinho sort of turned off to the side to hear, yeah. giving him short answers. Um, he does say thank you very much at the he end. I don't think he was being like horrifically rude, but you get this feeling that it's like there's 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 like a a contest between the two parties where it's like. Tell me, I am allowed to play this player, and the mm. physio saying, "Well, I have to." You know, I well, technically, you should be waiting four weeks for an injury, and we'll have to see how it goes. And the manager's like, "No, <laughs> give give me this player now," um, which is not how I, not, I guess, not how I imagined it. I, I guess I wanted something more sort of universal in sort of protection of the players. It's it's a little worrying to sort of see this kind of approach. And I, I I agree with you, but it's it's very much the the manager never wants to see the the physio. He if he doesn't see him it's it's a good sure. thing. And I, I mean the physio Scott will be there pretty much if Mourinho gets sacked. So Mourinho we know the pressure football managers are under and yeah it it, it is sometimes you watch it and you like Mourinho just just take it easy with with Scott. He's just doing his, he's doing his, he's just doing his job, and he's telling you bad news. But that's his job to give you bad news. Stop trying to kill the messenger every time. He's not scared to deliver bad news, though. Is uh, old Jeff Scott, and he says, "Harry, it's not good news. It's as bad as it gets." <laughs> just bang, have that. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Doc. No sugar coat in that. No, exactly. Well, this is the thing. There's, there is no way to sugarcoat it. How else is he going to phrase it? And he, he warns Kane that it could become a surgical case. He tells him it's a substantial tear. And I thought Kane actually seems incredibly calm and level-headed about it, given what mm. we know about his competitive streak, how he wants to be involved in every game. I thought he handled that really well. What did you think, Barty? There's one bit where some of that tendon has gone. It's just like, where? Where, where did yeah. it go? Like, you, ping! And then it just disappears into Kane's body and he passes it out when the next time he goes to the <laughs> loo. Yeah, yeah, but Kane did take it very level-headed, and I don't know. I I got a little bit scared how level-headed he took it. Like he said, now I'm 27, and it just made me think. Perhaps now he's he's pondering for the first time. Like we all get to a certain age, where we start pondering our own mortality. Maybe now he's starting to realize that he doesn't have forever to to do what he needs to do, and perhaps his mind at some point will will turn away from Spurs. And if he wants to do something put his name on a, on a bit of silverware, he might he might have to leave the club and, and go elsewhere. 
He's Go thinking ahead. about that Shearer goals record, isn't he? He's yeah, thinking, sure. I've got to get, I've got to get to two fifty, and I'm mm. running out of time, and I'm going to miss another half a season in the end. You know, it works out all right, but. <laughs> I mean, this has been depressing enough, having to rewatch Kane's <laughs> hamstring going, and now you two are compounding it like you wouldn't believe, <laughs> and, and now speculating that Kane's going to leave in the search for trophies. I, I, I don't think I can deal with this. Uh, it's too much. It's too much. Uh, we see Son and Kane speculating about the schedule potentially being a cause of um, of the injury, and my inner monologue was going. Uh, do you think? And then we know that Musa Soko is injured as well. He's also on crutches, so things are going from bad to worse. Jescott goes out to talk to Mourinho, explains the situation that it might may require surgery, but they'll wait to hear back from the specialist. Mourinho tells Sacramento it's three months, and Sacramento lets out a little yelp, <laughs> which um, tallies perfectly with the way I felt about the situation uh, when I read about Kane missing potentially three months. Um, we then see Mourinho saying, young players, if they're in the right frame of mind, they bring something that I used to call fear to the others. It's a fear that I love to have in the squad, which is they become competitive teammates. Not entirely sure what he's getting at there. It could be a sort of um, a language thing. It doesn't quite make sense. Um, Barley, what do you think of that part? I think it's, it's something to do. There's nothing scares the current generation more than seeing the next generation snapping mm. at their heels. So I think... By, by introducing Tanganga and we see the, the what happens with Danny Rose further down the line, by introducing these new players, all of a sudden those players that have been at Spurs five, six, seven years, they, they kind of get a little bit shocked and that Mourinho might be tempted to to usurp them by using young players. And it's a, it's a common tactic used by, um, we saw Pochettino use it to a great effect by using youngsters to, to push out the, the old school and get them either to pick up their ways or, or, or leave. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. That's got to be what it is. The young players breathing down the necks of the more experienced, more established, uh, more senior players. So we see Oliver Skip and Jaffet Tanganga go to shake hands with uh, Mourinho and Sacramento after lunch and I noticed at that point that Kyle Walker-Peters was sat next to Mourinho there which is interesting we don't find out what it's about but um love to have been a fly on the wall in that conversation we see uh Sonny asking Tanganga who he calls Jaffa uh when he's signing a new contract and Tanganga laughs and seems quite shy about the whole thing and and basically says I don't know what's happening kind of thing there's no commitment uh one way or another at that point um and then begins another just adorable section on Tanganga where he says he wants to use the, the rewards that come from kind of making it in football to sort of pay back his family for the sacrifices they've made. So um, we see lots of his family photos and we can we hear about how his dad took him to games, how his mum always cheers him up when he's have a, had a bad game. And it's just really lovely. He's just clearly got a very supportive family unit which I guess, you know, not all players are going to be lucky enough to have that behind them. And Tanganga's really lucky that he has got such a supportive, kind family there. Um, and he just seems like the nicest guy in the world. We have then the physios talking to Sissoko about his rehab. And they're watching training and they're, they're talking about whether they can see shape going on in the training ground, which I thought was interesting. So they mentioned that it looks like Tanganga is going to play right back uh, against Liverpool with Serge Aurier playing right wing. Um, obviously, that did come to fruition. So they kind of spotted that happening in the um, the, the pre-Liverpool training sessions. Um, Tanganga uh, says that when he finds out that he's playing against Liverpool, 
he goes up to his room and has a little cry, which is again just lovely. He he says that he has to kind of have a word of himself, put himself together. Um, we then see fans reading the team sheet with Tanganga's name listed, being unable to pronounce his name. That is kind of he's come from nowhere. That's how far mm. he's come to make the team sheet for the first time. I, I think a good number of our fans simply would never have heard of Jaffet Tanganga before he made his debut. Yeah, I was at um, I was at that home game against Liverpool, and it was you could you, it, there was a buzz in the air. You could hear people talking about it. Were you queuing up for for a beer or something? People asking who is he, what's he done, and yeah, it was um, it, it, you know a little bit of a little bit of Spurs history. This guy appears out of nowhere and, and plays against the, that Liverpool team who were who were insane at that moment. I think it mentions in the in the show there were three hundred and seventeen games without loss, and it was it was a big call by Mourinho to throw him in. We then see this bit in the tactics room, which I found quite interesting because Mourinho is um, talking up this Liverpool game like it's a huge historic moment in the players' careers. And I, I, I fully appreciate that this Liverpool team that won the league is absolutely one of the best the Premier League's seen. But it kind of just hammered home to me how they're sort of seen university in, in, in that way, and particularly at this stage in the season. Did that surprise you at all, Bardi? I thought Mourinho was referring to Liverpool, the, the team, about the kind of momentous games he's had with them and how whenever he's had defining moments, perhaps with, with his Chelsea team, that it was always kind of Liverpool who were, who were the opposition. And he knows just how important they are and the kind of, um, the kind of aura that team has. I don't okay, think it was, yeah, I mean, yeah. maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe it's more about the club than the, the current team. Hmm. Um, but yeah, he, he tells them, he's basically asking them to have belief and, I think he mentions ghosts of his career or something. I, I should have made a note of the phrase he used, but essentially he's saying don't have any regrets. You know, this is going to be a big moment in your career. Yeah, he he references always the the ghost goal that um um what was his name the Luis Luis Garcia scored for um, Liverpool against Chelsea in the semi final. He 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 always brings up the ghost goal whenever he talks about Liverpool. Uh, so we see Tanganga win his first header and gets a big cheer from the crowd. And then the block on the line, which um, kind of just set the tempo for Tanganga's performance against Liverpool in that game. It was fantastic. Uh, we're 1-0 down to Firmino. It's half-time. Mourinho tells them not to be disappointed. There is no space for disappointment during the game. If we lose our brain, we're fucked. No regrets. You can lose matches. You cannot have regrets. Uh, sort of more inspirational uh, words from Mourinho there. Uh, we do lose 1-0, but Son misses a great chance. And then Lacelso's chance, which I had forgotten. But um, yes, seeing that, I was like, wow, we really should have got something out of that game. Um, but yeah, we lose 1-0 and we move down to 8th. And after the game, you get um, Danny Rose telling Tanganga that he was unbelievable. And then I think it's Toby, but you don't see because he's off camera when you, when you hear the words, says, believe me, you did very well, which I thought was really nice. Nathan, how do you how do you react to this? Yeah, it's, it's it, the the whole Tanganga storyline is is really great. I I've complained before about how much this show has sort of uh, built the narrative backwards from the results, and this is the exception so far. Is that we did lose to Liverpool, but we played really well, and and mm. Tanganga had a really strong debut, and I, I I yeah just appreciated that we we got a bit of bit of variety there with that. Definitely, that is almost immediately followed up by some beautifully whimsical Delhi where he's asking the, again, I think it's the medical team, their top three chocolate bars, and he says, if anyone puts Bounty in their top three, I'm never speaking to them again. He's right. Fair comment. 
It's always La Celso that's next to him, who probably doesn't have the greatest command of English, who just sits there in silence as everyone just talks over him and around him. <laughs> He's just thinking, who are these people? What are they talking about? <laughs> Imagine trying to like get a grasp on English culture via Delhi. <laughs> that's, your, like, that's your cornerstone. Toothpaste and chocolate bars. Mm. And then it's FA Cup time. There's the press conference, there's the montage of Spurs captains lifting the FA Cup trophy... There's the clip of uh, Ricky Villa's goal against Man City. And we're playing Middlesbrough. We see Mourinho giving his pre-match tactics talk. But it's not entirely clear if this is before the first or the second match because it goes to a replay. Well, I assume the first because he's not talking about anything that they did in the first match in this clip. And it would be weird not to be focusing on what happened in the first match. So I think the way they've done it is they showed his pre-match stuff of the first game and they showed Mm. the clips of the second game. Anyway, he's saying that uh, they can beat us. They're coming for the game of their life. Essentially, you have to try really, really hard uh, to win this game. So uh, Tanganga says, I had so many sleepless nights. He talks about how it's taken until he's 20 to get a chance. He had aspirations to sort of break in at 16, 17, 18. And he says, if I play well, my life can change. Uh, so we see Lacelso scoring the opening goal. We see Lamella making it 2-0. We know that Middlesbrough also score a goal back, but Tanganga steals the headlines with a couple of sort of marauding runs down the right. He is getting the Man of the Match trophy and being interviewed by BBC Sport, and he's got this big beaming smile on his face as he comes in, um, and he's asked whether he thought he was going to be awarded Man of the Match, and he kind of says, he basically says, I think I, bl- I thought I'd blown my chances because they scored a goal at the end there, um, but he's absolutely delighted, obviously that this has happened and the episode finishes on a bit about the transfer window Mourinho talking to Ericsson and reporting back to Sacramento uh he explains that he would like to leave and Daniel Levy says allowing him to leave for free is a very bad signal to everyone else and that is the end of the episode so what did you think Bardi what were your thoughts on this one I mean, like like we said at the start, I thought it was great to learn a little bit about Tanganga. We do get the impression sometimes that the footballers, especially these young ones that make it all about the like bling and they get some bad press. But I thought thought Tanganga looked like um like a like a well rounded young man. And yeah, as I said, I, I I find the football match part the the least interesting. And it, I thought it was a decent episode. I thought it wasn't as good as perhaps episode three, but it's you know it's progressing, and we do actually move through quite a few weeks and um, jump quite a lot in in the timeline. Whereas before, we'd just been doing week by week. Yeah. How about you, Nathan? I did like uh, Mourinho's pre Middlesbrough team talk. I did like the focus on look this, you know. It is possible for us to lose this game. Don't forget that this team, you know, I I thought that was a good angle that he worked there. Uh, the final line from Levy about like sending a bad signal is slightly worrying. I, I don't know if we should be allowing perception to mm. so much guide our mm. approach, but maybe, maybe I'm being too harsh there. Uh, overall, yeah, I, uh, for me, what I learned is like the physio process of the club and I, I really enjoy insights to those kind of things. I, I liked this episode for that reason, I think. The, the Levy parts, I completely agree with. Um, I don't know if I should say this because it comes across as really negative and I, I don't want it to necessarily come across as entirely negative, but fuck it, I'm going to say it. Uh, I think the thing that's been most shocking to me of all of these episodes so far is how proper football man our football club is. <laughs> and I mean that at every level. I, there's so much 
from what we've seen, and I think it's a really important. I think it's really important that I say it, the caveat is from what we've seen, and this is very much under the control of the producers, directors, whatever. The lack of sort of reasoned analysis behind decision making, the lack of tactics in 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 half time team talks and discussions and pre match stuff. I mean, we're not getting much detail there. It's very like passion oriented. Um, there's very much a focus on the sort of mental aspects of being a footballer, which are, don't get me wrong, undoubtedly hugely important. But part of me's thinking, like, if if that's your sort of, if that's the most important part, just get a psychologist to deliver the team talks because they will be an absolute expert at doing that. You know, they will know exactly the words and phrases to use to get the most out of the players and the tones and everything else. And Daniel Levy saying it's a bad signal to everyone else. It just feels a bit like come on mate this isn't twitter you know it's not about sending a signal it's about what's best for the football club on and off the pitch and and i don't know if a signal is is that important like nathan says um maybe i'm being really harsh though i think that's just daniel levy i think he's he's so aware of everything now that i I think i think it's just him i think that's his personality i'm not sure if it's the club itself but i just think daniel levy is now so wrapped up in this perception of daniel levy that he's trying to he's trying to be a little bit of everything for everyone and yeah i think i think it's probably him that does that maybe it's not the football club he's just way too involved in the day-to-day like pitch stuff for me even just Mm. he's sat in the in the canteen having conversations with people constantly like putting forward his opinions on what's happening in terms of on pitch stuff and i'm like why are you doing this buy some players involved yeah exactly exactly. go buy a striker mate go and broker a commercial deal (laughs) for the stadium name that's that's your that's your mm. job. Don't worry about what's happening on the pitch quite so much. I don't know. I think I'm being really harsh, and I, I I don't think it's that bad a thing either. Because actually, it's quite nice to sort of know that in some ways the people that are involved with the running of our club do think like fans sometimes and do have that kind of passion side to them, where they actually are really sure. emotionally committed to what's happening, and that is reassuring. But I just sometimes want a bit more cold, cold headed analysis going on. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. 